Hello, this is David J. Howe, Doctor Who collector and author. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Keep collecting. Larry, it's Fraser. At last, I've got back to you. I'm sorry it's taken ages, but I've had the dreaded lurgy. And you use, they all say, who is Doctor Who? Where is he from? What does he do? They all say, who? Welcome back to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast and a Happy New Year to all my listeners. Of course, you're at the podcast that explores the colorful world of Doctor Who collecting, the collectors, merchandise, sometimes just Doctor Who. We love talking to our guests and our visitors. We love to have you. Uh, Brought to you in part by Forbidden Planet and Bags Unlimited Incorporated. We thank you so much for your support. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host. I've been a Doctor Who collector now for 43 years. Just turned the clock over to 2024. I started in 1981. Um, Long time to be doing this and still enjoying the uh, experience. So welcome to our 74th episode and the first one of the new year. So um, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're a returning listener, we welcome you as well. But these are some things I include in every episode. So um, if you're new to this, and of course, if you don't know the story, I did open one of the first Doctor Who stores in the Chicago area that exclusively served Doctor Who fans. It was back in 1984. And after I had decided to do that, I had a hard time finding a name. So I was reading a copy of Fantasy Empire magazine, and I came across the section called Bundles from Britain, and I said, it's a no-brainer. So the company became Bundles from Britain. And, of course, we are now mentioned in a great book called Red, White, and Who, the story of Doctor Who in America. That book is within arm's reach of me at all times at my office here. Uh, I use it quite a bit. Uh, I've read, I think, the entire book at this point. It's just a wonderful book. And I found my company on page 384. What a wonderful experience to have. Uh, You can find a link to buy this book on the front page of our website, and I'm working on getting a link directly to ATV Publishing so you can buy it directly from the publisher. Uh, So, of course, we want everyone to have a part. We are part of the Direction Point Doctor Who Podcast Network, and we welcome all new Doctor Who-related or otherwise podcasts. Happy to have you. Uh, you can find us at directionpoint.org. So join the ranks of some great podcasters, especially those with Time Streams, Police Box in a Junkyard, the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the Doctor's Beard podcast, Doctor Who Literature and Traveling the Vortex, and many more. For more information, directionpoint.org. And speaking of web links, I include in every episode two wonderful resources, free of charge. These are free sites to help you with your collecting. The first one, of course, is tarmlash.com, and under that heading, select TARDIS Library. Sign up for a free account and keep track of your media, your books, your vinyl, your CDs, your Betamax tapes, but not Doctor Who magazine, sadly. 
Uh, thanks to Dan O'Malley for keeping that free with some ad-based uh, revenue there. But if you need to do some in-depth research, something that goes beyond the pale here, then you need Howe's Transcendental Toy Box at DrWhoToyBox.co.uk. And of course, by Howe, we mean David J. Howe, wonderful guy, good friend, also an amazing collector, and has written many books on the subject, as well as other subjects. He's quite the, quite the guru. Um, great resource. If you're looking to fill up your stocking, I guess... And if you're looking for great Doctor Who items at great prices, look no further than DoctorWhoStore.com. That is the, uh, it's in the name, of course, you know, that is the online store of alien entertainment. And uh, they definitely have a lot of great items, including stuff on clearance that you might want to take a look at. Uh, and of course, they have two great locations in Chicago. If you live in the area, um, of course, you can select free pickup from the store, I believe. And uh, so it's kind of a nice thing to do. But uh, if you live in the uh, west suburbs, uh, visit the Lombard location. It is a three storefront uh, operation, not just Doctor Who, but lots of great stuff. And they're open Wednesday through Saturday. Um, that's a great place to go. They also have a, a location at Logan Square. So visit AlienEntertainment.com for location and store hours. You can also find some great items at Forbidden Planet, one of our sponsors. Just visit our website and select Doctor Who Merchandise Links. Lots of 60th anniversary stuff still available. And, of course, our own eBay store. We've got lots of things added, including some Blue Spine books um, that were recently uh, discovered that I had duplicates of, so I'm happy to pass those along to somebody else. Um, also, some hardcovers that are in there, too, so you know, take a look. Um, we've got a lot of great stuff, and all the proceeds do benefit the podcast. Uh, another great place to stop and shop, if you can, or online, of course, is Who North America. Keith and Jenny, amazing folks. Um, they opened uh, the store um, with with great hopes, and of course, they're doing very well. You can find them at www.whoNA, that's W-H-O-N-A.com. Uh, great folks, and of course, they are the sponsors of Doctoberfest. And I forgot to mention that Alien Entertainment, of course, is behind Chicago TARDIS. Uh, don't forget our friends in London at the Who Shop. Um, I loved uh, having a conversation with them on the phone. And of course, one of the comments they had for me was they love the podcast. So great to have our friends over the pond. Um, and of course, you can find them at thewhoshop.com. That's all together, thewhoshop.com. And of course, on our website at DoctorWhoCollectors.com, you can find, in addition to all of the podcasts from episode one to the present day, all 74 episodes are posted there. Um, you can also find we have the complete guide to Doctor Who classic hardcover books, including reprints that many don't know they exist. Other information, including, um, you know, how many it's we're adding this uh, every day, but how many were printed? If we know the information, we'll include that. Um, any kind of um, we've investigated some rumors about other printings. So just take a look. You know, it might be helpful to you. We're working on a way to get each book on its own page. That would be really cool. Um, what's happening? Coming up in the next uh, uh, convention season here, we start, um, actually I'm starting in April. Uh, join me at Consinity, and uh, that's in Milwaukee. It's the Gathering of the Geeks at the University of Milwaukee School of Engineering. Um, and so be sure to check that out. Um, I will be uh, there, of course, presenting 60 Items for 60 Years as the final uh, presentation of that show. Uh, but don't fret if you missed it. The video that I did at Doctoberfest will be posted for free on our YouTube page. 
So please uh, watch for that. And you can find our YouTube page just by going to YouTube, type in Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. You will find our channel pretty fast. Um, we keep hoping we get enough material there to get our own little link there, but I believe we have a link to it on our website as well. So there you go. That's Doctoberfest 2024 uh, coming uh, is the next one out in October. Um, <clears throat> we have no guests. Uh, we're just kind of getting that started. I've been um, working with the good folks at Who North America to try to secure some wonderful guests for that festival. It is a one day festival, usually with a dinner the previous night and a brunch the following day. It's a wonderful time. Last year sold out completely with Sophie Eldred. And I will say this, I had a great opportunity to show Sophie my collection and she was just an amazing individual. And I'm glad to call her a friend because we got to spend a lot of time together. Um, next, of course, is Chicago TARDIS 2024, set for next Thanksgiving weekend in November. That is the 25th anniversary of Chicago TARDIS, so look for that. I know the 60th anniversary was a lot of fun with three doctors and a son of a doctor. We had Michael Troughton and, of course, one of my, one of my all-time favorite people, Lisa Bowerman. And we will have Lisa Bowerman on the podcast this year. She said yes, so we'll, we'll have her on here. Um, so if you want more information for that, please go to chicagotardis.com. No guests announced yet. That is any day now. Um, but you want to keep that bookmarked. All right. So what's new to the collection? Well, I've been busy. <laughs> anyway, I managed to complete my collection of new adventure books and blue spine targets, which uh, really was pleasing. It's nice to get that final slot filled, you know, and go, I'm, I'm done. Um, I also managed to secure, which was really, really uh, kind of luck in my way. Here is a mint copy of The Hand of Fear in hardcover. That's the, uh, I believe it's the Wingate um, hardcover for that. Just a really nice way to get that. Um, I traded a book for some early Doctor Who magazines. That'll fill in the gaps what I'm missing there. Um, I have in hand the second Radio Times featuring Doctor Who from December 63 with the listing for the second episode of Doctor Who. I will talk more about that in a future episode. Um, I also have the Doctor Who Time Clash starter set, which is a game. I have the third and final issue of Zeta Minor, which is a collection of fan fiction, one of the big fanzines of the day. Only three issues were published, and I have all three. So that will be fun to do. More on the way, of course. If you'd like to see my collection in a better up-close kind of personal kind of thing, a couple things you can do. You can visit us at Doctoberfest. We have a dedicated room for the museum, uh, as well as, you know, take a shuttle over to Who North America because uh, Keith has a wonderful collection himself that's in the shop. And um, what a wonderful thing. So there you go. You can also find me at Chicago TARDIS. I haven't uh, figured out what my new show is going to be this year, but when I do, you'll be the first to know. Um, there are lots of rumors out there uh, about, uh, speaking of hardcover books by Wingate or W.H. Allen, but I have come across people that tell me, hey, I've seen a third printing of this. And I'm like, well, um, we need to see proof of life on that. So uh, if the book doesn't happen to be in your possession and you claim to see something, well, let's keep that to yourself until we have some proof because we don't want to get collectors in a in a bundle out there because uh, they're saying, well, hey, now I need to get a hold of a third edition of da, da da Well, only one third edition in the hardcover range ever got to print, and that's the Loch Ness Monster. So now we're trying to figure out if they ever did a second one. Um, they may have printed a, a book and then accidentally put it out as third edition. 
we don't know if a second edition exists. No, it's been unsighted, completely unsighted for uh, for many, many years. But anyway, um, if you have such a book and you'd like to help me uh, add to the world of knowledge here, please contact me. I love talking with collectors. We'd love to have you on the show. Uh, you can share your story here. So contact me, of course, at Doctor Who Collectors Podcast at gmail.com. And I will answer that. Put uh, put that information in the subject line so I don't miss it. Okay, great, great. On today's show, uh, I will be covering the Blue Spine Target books uh, with some information about each of the years and uh, what you know what was what was published because there are also a lot of uh, fake books out there. Uh, what I mean is uh, fan created blue spines that you don't want to be confused with with the real deal. So we're going to keep it real here um, and and do our best to kind of present a good value for each of these books. Uh, I've been quoted some really crazy prices for some of them, even though I picked up some of them for a lot less than that. Um, I will try to average the two prices together so we get a fair offering. So there you go. Um, I'll be presenting this, uh, of course, also um, I'm presenting on this podcast and a few future ones. We're going to be presenting the Lost Stories of Gene Airy. And now the collection uh, that I mentioned earlier of Zeta Minor, the three magazines there, plus the Blue Guardian 13 that I have, I might have the complete works of Gene Airy in my, in my uh, possession. The late Gene Airy, of course, is most famous for her book, or actually her story, it wasn't a book. It was a story called The Doctor and the Enterprise. And if you want more information about that, you'll have to go back to episode 38 on this podcast, or you can go to episode 100 of the Target Book Club podcast. It's the same episode. We did a double episode, a double uh, podcast on that one. Um, and uh, that was the book that uh, where the, it was a story that became a book without her consent. It got published and sold without her knowledge and, of course, without any permissions from the Doctor Who people and the Paramount people. So it was really quite something. But anyway, Gene Airy wrote a lot of stories. Some of them are, are straight fan fiction. You know, a lot of them based with the fourth Doctor, but we're going to have some, um, some dramatic readings with other Doctor personalities. So that'll be fun. Um, so the on today's show, of course, we have the very talented and multiple appearance guest, Katie Haynes, who is actually an actress herself. Uh, we'll be reading the first story and we'll be reading it as Dr. 13. So it's a short story. It's her, one, of, one of her first short stories. So we will be putting that out there and uh, we'll have different people reading. Uh, I'll be asking, of course, for, you know, if you'd like to read a story, uh, please give me a give me a contact here. Doctor Who Collectors Podcast at gmail.com. So thank you. I also want to thank uh, our patrons. If you would like to see exclusive video content uh, that we present, including our video interviews, if you want to see our Peter Purvis interview, which is the most sought after one that people are asking for, you can go to our Patreon page, at least uh, get at the $15 a month level and go to patreon.com backslash Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Uh, you can also support us at Podbean. We are a Podbean podcast. And you can go to doctorwhocollectors.podbean.com and become a patron at any level. We thank you for your support. Our theme song, of course, is Who's Doctor Who, composed by Barry Mason and Les Reed, performed by our good friend, Fraser Hines. You can hear this podcast almost anywhere you get your podcasts, including Apple, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and Podbean. We are working to get on SiriusXM. Of course, that's a lot of hoops to jump through for any podcast, but we'll do our best. 
course, we are a Direction Point Network podcast. Thank you for that. Now it's time for my time. Um, my time is I get a chance to talk about anything I want to. And today I'm going to start with something I've never done before, and that's a, a book review. Uh, I was encouraged by uh, a user on one of the social media channels to check out, um, if you're missing information, then you need to get a hold of the Target Manual, the unofficial catalog of the classic range compiled by Derek Stance. Um, I found it on Amazon. It's uh, published by Who Alien. Um, it is clearly a fan-created book. Um, it has an ISBN number. Uh, and uh, I did go through it, and I'll just read the back cover. It says, on the outside, it looked like an old-fashioned police box. Let's travel back through time to a place where there are no VHS, DVD, or Blu-ray media to remind us of our beloved traveler's exciting adventures. And yet each story could be revisited over again and again. Every true fan has the collector gene. Do you dare open the doors in search of a never-ending quest? If so, here's the trustworthy companion to help you uh, on your journey. So, um... Hmm. According, this is uh, volume one, of course, and it covers the uh, UK hardcovers. That's just something I do a lot of research on here. It says it covers the Universal Tandem, Alan Wingate, Frederick Mueller, Longbow, W.H. Allen, White Lion, Artist Book Club Associates, and BBC Books. Just the hardcover edition. So I got a little, you know, I, I got the book. The book cost um, 60 US dollars, by the way. Quite an expensive book. Uh, probably no more than $30 if this was published by a publisher, but I found out why that wasn't the case. But anyway, this feels like a Lulu book to me, but um, my my review will not be very positive. I hate to say it right off the bat. I try to be positive, but um, I was hoping for some new information here, um, but there is not a lot of information here. Um, it says here uh, that trademarks and copyrights of all products listed in this book are the sole property of the respective owners and the items depicted here are for the sole purpose of identification. Well, that does not get you out of the law. Um, I have not contacted my friends uh, at, uh, you know, in, in, the, uh, in, in the world of uh, Doctor Who artists who depend on the sale of their art through legitimate sources for their income. In my opinion, this book just stole a lot of artwork. Um, that, of course, that would have made the book a little bit harder because some artists would say no. I know some of the artists are like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, including uh, my dear friend Chris Achilleos, the late Chris Achilleos, uh, who uh, did not. But he does mention here and uh, he, you know, he uh, he does not credit me in this, even though I have one of the largest, uh, you know, listings of Doctor Who hardcovers, but he does list Paul Smith, which is, uh, he's a good guy. I work with him or David J. Howe or Paul Schoons, uh, people that I do know well. Um, but um, this isn't all, you know, it says no attempt is made to supersede the copyright of the authors, but it does. Uh, even, even educational books have to get permission. I'm sorry to say. I was a little disappointed there. Um... Anyway, they, they list the, the other thing, they list the books by doctor order. Now, I get that. Uh, I would have put them in publication order myself because that's easier. Uh, the, the information, basically, you get the first thing on the page here, page 68. It's, it's page 68. Now, I don't know what these numbers mean here. 1A, 68. Uh, An Unearthly Child is the first book. It has a, it looks like a scan of the, of the full book art cover. I'm not sure how this was done. Um, a book would have to have been scanned in three places and then photoshopped or the original 
artwork was was taken somewhere. Um, they put the copyright on there, the ISBN number, and um, how many copies were printed, and basically the Andrew Skilleter cover and WH Allen cover. There's no other information here. Uh, there's nothing new here. Uh, this information is available on my website. This information is available from Paul Smith uh, or the Toy Box. Um, so I was I was just it's basically a big picture book of all the covers. Now, if you don't, if you need to see the covers up close and personal, you can do so in many places. Um, you don't need to spend $60 on this book. In fact, I would recommend you don't buy this book. Oh, he's even got the, uh, the web of fear, uh, target, uh, hardcover that, that came out. Um, let's see what he says about that. I didn't quite see that the first time through. Um, just, oh, it doesn't say anything. The Web of Fear test, it was a test run. Uh, yeah, that's what it was. I've, I've got one of the books. So, um, yeah, I, I'm just not impressed. And I was, I, I, I was really kind of upset that, and even some of the covers like the Cave Monsters was smaller than, it should be a larger book. You know, you've got the old Auton Invasion, small, and the big, you know, of course it had a dust jacket. I think that was the, that was the thing there, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sorry to say that all of these covers are covered by, uh, artist by, by protective license and they should have sought those licenses instead of putting this out there. I believe this book will probably get removed at some point when someone figures it out. Um, but I would say save your money and go to my website, go to, um, Paul Smith's website and get the book based on a television series that I'm actually contributing to that book. So that's a little bit better. I don't know the author, uh, Derek Stance. I have nothing against the author. Um, I'm sure he's a good person, um, but I would say don't buy the book. And another really lose, I did, um, I requested to return it. I went to Amazon.uk and I said, it's just not a good book. Um, and they were very, very gracious and they did refund my money and told me, don't bother returning the book. So we'll see. <clears throat> That's. <coughs> we'll see. So we don't know. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I have a feeling. I don't believe this book is available in the United States. Um, I had to import it, but uh, yeah, just save your money. Go online. There's more information online. There's more information on my website. There's more information in the toy box. Um, you don't need this book. All right. Uh, my next thing. Um, if you agree uh, to sell an item or buy an item from somebody, keep your word. Just simple. Because I've had experiences in my life over the last 43 years where I'll say, hey, you know, if you could, you know, if let me know if you can hold that for me for a few days. I need to gather the funds. Um, and many times, yeah, no problem, you know, because I've got a good reputation out there. But, you know, I've also had some circumstances where I said, hey, can you do this for me? And they say yes. And then tell me, oh, I sold it. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> you know, it's OK. You know, hey, it happens. You got to do what you got to do. But keep your word. You know, it's just an important thing. You know, it's very important that we we honor each other's, uh, you know, reputations and our our because we, we we spend our lives 
building that and it can be destroyed in an instant it's like a bad ebay review it's a it's a it's a it's it's like a death sentence to your selling or your buying you know you can get banned as a buyer you know i've actually had my account banned as a buyer and i'm not sure why they said look at your feedback i said i've got no negative feedback of anybody i don't do that i contact you first we try to resolve it if it can't be resolved um then we go with a neutral you know i don't like to do that but uh, one seller told me I wrote something bad and I said, well, show it to me. And he didn't. He didn't care. So it doesn't matter. It's fine. I can go somewhere else and I'm happy to go somewhere else. That's just how it is. You know, I've been doing this a long time. So there you go. Um, and please don't look, don't give up. Don't give up looking for what you need to complete your collection, because I spent a long time trying to get um, the hardcovers put together. I had a bunch uh, thanks to being the sole distributor of hardcovers in 1985. Um, also, that was missing from this book. Uh, no, nothing to indicate that the books were um, distributed in the United States. Uh, of course, he may have written this book without knowing who I was, and so I don't fault him for that. But I certainly, you know, have that information on our website. We have the catalog from 1986 from Bundles from Britain. I remember I was there <laughs> when when we got the books. And uh, I took a set of books. So I've got almost all the books. Um, not all of them, because some of them we didn't have enough to, to really divvy up. So, um, But I did keep my 77 uh, reprint of the Planet of the Spiders in mint condition. We had a bunch of those. So those are floating around out there. So they're probably overpriced, but they're out there. Um, but don't give up. Just keep looking around, you know, because every once in a while somebody comes up. You know, I had I had someone contact me to say that they found me a second printing of Genesis of the Daleks in hardcover. It is in terrible condition, but yet I still want to put it on the shelf and fill the gap. So that's that's what we do. You know, we, we do this with a passion, but we also need to, you know, we need to trust each other. We need to keep um, backing each other because I that's what I do. You know, I, I, you know, just ask anybody who's ever met me at a convention or has been to one of my panels or have bought something from me or sold something to me, I should, you know, they should tell you that, wow, what a, what a brilliantly smooth thing. Uh, so be careful out there. You know, that's all I can say about that. So that's my time. Thank you for listening. Of course, if you want to skip my time, you know where the fast forward button is on your podcast provider. But anyway, after the break, um, we will have the dramatic reading of the very first story that I have in the collection for um, by Gene Airy. So that will be fun, uh, read by Katie Haynes. And then, of course, our main story, we will talk about those blue spines. And, of course, the most outrageous offer coming up next. Hi, I'm Juliet. And I'm Nathan. Experience Doctor Who from the very beginning through a classic fan's eyes. And through the eyes of a new Who fan. Reminisce and relive those classic moments with Nathan as he offers fun insight. Or experience them for the first time with Juliet as she dwells on social issues, history, fashion, and the size of a flashlight. We're the Time Streams Podcast. Find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Keep collecting. Traveling the Vortex. Are you ready to embark on an epic journey through time and space? Join the thousands of Whovians around the world who've discovered Traveling the Vortex 
the ultimate Doctor Who podcast for diehard fans and curious newcomers alike. Every week, we dive deep into the Hooniverse, discussing the episodes, theories, and hidden gems. We dissect the Doctor's adventures, share behind-the-scenes stories, and explore the legacy of this iconic show. Travel in the Vortex brings fans together, fostering a global community of Whovians. Whether you're a fan of classic or new Who, there's something for everyone. Join us on this incredible journey as we unravel the mysteries of time and space. Don't miss out. Subscribe to Traveling the Vortex today on your favorite podcast platform. Traveling the Vortex, your ticket to adventure awaits. Traveling the Vortex is a proud member of the Direction Point Podcast Network. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Keep collecting. Hi, and welcome to a new segment on the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. We are honoring the late Jean Airy who was a great fan fiction writer. She wrote many story, short stories uh, that were published in various fanzines that have all since gone out of print with very few copies in existence. Uh, fortunately, I've been able to collect most of those copies. Um, she's best known for her um, story, The Doctor and the Enterprise, which was written for Enterprise Magazine and for a few standalone fanzines. Um, it got a little bit of notoriety when it was published by a commercial author without getting any permission from the BBC or from Paramount Pictures, in which really irritated Jean to no end. She campaigned hard against those uh, published copies. She did not get a dime from those, nor did she want to get a dime from them. Uh, in fact, she made she doubled down on it and asked people to send her a self-addressed envelope with this much postage, and I'll send you the thing for free. So she completely went against all that. Um, but she passed away, uh, and um, all of her stories are, are still kind of missing out there for, for the most part. They didn't get a lot of wide distribution. Some of them never got posted online, and some of those old message boards are long gone. Uh, anyway, if you want to learn more about that, uh, tune into episode 38 for me or episode 100 of the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast. Hint, hint, they're the same episode. Anyway, um, I'm about to present... Um, the uh, a wonderful, wonderful story that's going to be read by my good friend Katie Haynes. This story was originally written for the fourth Doctor, but because Katie is such a, a very talented voice actor, she's going to kind of use the Doctor 13 Jodie Whittaker voice for the Doctor. So please pardon that we kept the pronouns he and him in the story, um, but she's going to play it as Jodie Whittaker. So I want you to enjoy this story, this wonderful story, by Jane Airy. Dragonfly, by Jane Airy, read by Katie Haynes. Reader's note, even though this is a fourth Doctor story, I was told by Larry to jody it up. So consider this an adventure with Sarah Jane Smith and the 13th Doctor. Sarah Jane Smith scowled fiercely at the Doctor's back. It was quite all right for him to decide to take a ten-mile hike away from the TARDIS after they'd materialized on a strange planet, but he didn't have to take her along. Her legs were starting to hurt, and she couldn't keep up with his long pace anymore. The floor of the forest they were walking in was covered with branches and rocks, and while there had been what seemed to be paths, the doctor hadn't chosen any of them. All very well for him. He could step over obstacles. She had to scramble over them. True, she thought, she could have stayed back at the TARDIS, but that would have meant missing out on something. Not that there was anything happening, not even any conversation. Just, come along, Sarah, 
when she got too far behind, like a dog. Come along, Spot. Come along, Rover. She muttered under her breath and walked right into the doctor's back. Did you say something? Oh, no, just making conversation with myself. What did you stop for? Have you figured out where we are? She moved up to stand by his side. This is an earth. Oh, no, sun's too yellow. He licked one finger and held it up in the air. And while it looks like a forest, it doesn't sound like one. She had been edgy during the first part of the walk, waiting for some monster to come crashing through the woods. The forest was almost empty of noise. An occasional hum and buzz flicked through the air, but she hadn't seen or heard anything larger than the occasional fly, and even those didn't seem to be the biting kind. The doctor put his finger back in his mouth and tasted it. Aha! It's Skelfos! Skelfos? This planet? No, no, I don't know what this planet is called, but it's new, as far as planets go. What's Skelfos, then? A tint in the wind. It's only there when the planet's just starting out. Before humans, or whatever, arrive? Sarah wet her finger and put it in the air. Oh, long before. And it's usually whatever's, not humans. You won't be able to taste anything. She put her finger back in her mouth. He was right, as usual. As mostly usual. Another Time Lord gift? Oh, not just Time Lords, but a sensitivity far beyond yours. He grinned at her. Well, maybe I can taste the difference when I get back. She smiled back at him, resisting the impulse to stick her tongue out. Do you suppose there's any water around? And could a lowly human drink it? Water? Are you thirsty? I think I can find some. He started crashing along again. And you mustn't think that you're an inferior species. Some of the water you drink regularly would quite polish off at least half a dozen species I know of. She hurried to keep up with him, biting her tongue to keep from making a rude remark. Her patience was rewarded when they came to a lovely clearing, with a spring bubbling up in the midst of it. Will that do? He said with a flourish, as if he had caused the spring to appear just for her. She knelt down, cupped her hands, and drank the cool water. Lovely, doctor. Her thirst quenched, she turned back to him. She suddenly felt very comfortable in this shining and quiet place. Hello there. I'm so pleased to meet you. The doctor was talking to a large dragonfly. Sarah moved cautiously behind him. It wouldn't really have surprised her to come across a sentient dragonfly, but she hadn't heard anything except the doctor's voice. Is that so? He went on. Of course, I'd be glad to do whatever I can. Do you want me to talk to your people first? The dragonfly dipped and then lifted and hovered in place. It turned as if waiting for them to follow. Doctor? Are you talking to that dragonfly? The doctor looked at her in astonishment. Of course not, Sarah. I'm talking to the princess of the people of the air. Come along now. They've got a bit of a problem. With the dragonfly leading the way, they started off through the forest again. This time, Sarah was determined to stay up with the doctor. Are the dragonflies the people of the air? The young lady on the dragonfly. Didn't you see her? Doctor, Sarah dodged a low branch. All I see is a dragonfly, and I didn't hear anything. Really? Hmm. That's right. You probably wouldn't. You're a very pragmatic person, Sarah, and people like you never do see or hear them. I might be able to do something about the hearing, but it's up to you to be able to see them. Oh, what are they? A sort of fairy? You know, 
clap your hands to save Tinkerbell? That's a very human way of putting things. Still, it's about what you can understand. They'd been climbing higher and emerged on an elevated area. Cleared of trees, there were brushes and shrubs in abundance. The doctor followed the dragonfly to a cleared area and sat down on a grassy spot. Sarah sat down beside him. You know, doctor, if the princess talks to me and I don't answer, it could be quite embarrassing. Just in case the invisible princess was listening, Sarah kept her voice low enough for the doctor to barely hear if he was listening for her at all. Oh, yes, excuse me, Princess Ryan. My friend's got a hearing problem, hereditary. Sarah valiantly resisted the desire to poke the doctor in the ribs. I can take care of it. He turned to Sarah and placed his hands over her ears. She could feel his fingers press into her skull. There was a slight pop, and he took his hands away. There, that should help. Sarah shook her head. Her ears seemed to be ringing from one side of her head to the other. Is she well now, doctor? A light bell-like voice floated over the head of the dragonfly. Oh, yes, I do believe so. Sarah grinned at the doctor and turned to stare at the dragonfly. But she can't see you. There's nothing I can do about that. No? The dragonfly flew over and hovered right in front of Sarah's nose. She could feel her eyes crossing as she stared at it. As hard as she could try, she could see nothing of whatever it was that was riding the insect. What a pity. We shall have to let you know where we are by speaking to you then. If you please, that would be a good idea. I, I shouldn't want to... Step on us? <laughs> the tiny voice laughed. We move quite rapidly, but you are so very large... Sarah was caught up between a desire to apologize for being so large and protesting that she was not, indeed, very large as most things went. She glanced over at the doctor, who was engaged in a bout of silent laughter. Did you say that you wanted the doctor's help with something? Yes, but my mother, the queen, will explain it better than I. She is coming now. The dragonfly lifted, hovered near a small twig, and then flew off. Sarah stared at the twig. Had it moved slightly before the dragonfly left? I don't think you can step on me up here, laughed the little voice. It was coming from the twig now. Sarah smiled at the twig. Oh, Sarah! She turned to see a dozen butterflies rimming the doctor's outspread hand. One settled in it, apparently depositing a passenger, and the rest flew off up into a nearby branch. The doctor held his hand very still staring into it with a bemused smile. Oh, in what way can I be of help to you, madam? Oh, wee, Sarah thought. He must really be talking to someone he thinks is important. Your daughter said you were having some problems. Sarah realized that the doctor was holding the queen. She took a deep breath and slid even closer to him, staring intently at his palm, willing herself to see something. As you are such a large person... It is possible that the groundlings will listen to you. We have tried to communicate with them, but to no avail. They refuse to believe that a natural peace could exist between our people. They believe that we are so far apart that only war could be the true state of affairs. And so you fought back. The doctor's voice was faintly reproachful. Lately we have tried not returning blow for blow, 
but so many of our people have died or been crippled. And now the groundlings gloat that they will shortly destroy us. We have a weapon that our scientists created that will utterly destroy them. If you cannot help us, we will use it. There was no doubting the finality in that small voice. Sarah could almost picture the tiny but imperious being, but for all her efforts, she could not see it. The doctor studied his hand, the queen, thoughtfully. I'll do what I can. Most weapons work two ways, you know. Where might I be able to find these groundlings? Down the hill and in the valley, you will find the caves and tunnels where they live. They have no science, and in fighting they are sometimes foolish. But they are cunning and full of evil crafts. For all your size, you must take care. Oh, I shall, I shall. The butterfly flew over the doctor's hand, settled for a moment, then took off and joined the others. The doctor got to his feet, and Sarah quickly followed. He wrapped his scarf an extra turn around his neck. Come along, Sarah, he said, and quickly started down the hill. Sarah dropped a curtsy to the assembled butterflies. With a queen, it was better to be safe than proud, even if she was small enough to lift into your palm, and waved goodbye to the twig. The bell-like laughter that followed her down the hill told her the princess was still there. Doctor, she said when she caught up to him, was that the queen? Yeah, it was. Did you see her? He looked at her, his face alight. No, doctor. His face fell in blatant disappointment. Sarah felt like a cat. I tried very hard. Well, Sarah? He started walking on. It's not the trying. It's not the trying. Doctor, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't. When it makes sense, you'll know what I mean. Sometimes I don't think you're speaking the same language I am. But I'm not. Let's see now. Valley over there. Do you think there's going to be any trouble? There's always trouble when people can't get on. They walked out of the forest and into a shrubby canyon. The doctor knelt down and pulled the brushes away from an opening in the canyon wall. Sarah shivered. The air seemed to grow colder as the opening was revealed. It's quite large. Do you think the groundlings are as large as we are? Larger than the people of the air, or else they'd be flying too, but not our size. The doctor started to slide into the hole. You wait here, Sarah. It'll be too dark in there for you. Sarah eyed the hole uneasily. As much as she disliked letting the doctor go off on his own, she really didn't want to go underground exploring. Right. I'll just wait right here. He hadn't gotten partway in when he backed out. Don't move from here now. Understand? Don't move for anything. Yes, doctor, she said sweetly and watched as he crawled back in. For a while, she could hear him scrambling inside. And then the noise stopped. She sat very still. It was very quiet. It was too quiet. She looked around. No sign of dragonflies or butterflies or anything moving. She began to whistle a music hall song she'd grown fond of. The noise from the hole was loud only because it was the first noise she'd heard for a while that wasn't her own. She stopped whistling. It could have been a scream. Doctor? She crept over to the hole and stuck her head in. Doctor? The hole opened into a larger area and her voice echoed from the rocks. There was no answer. More afraid of being alone outside than finding trouble within, she crawled partway inside and listened. There were no noises, no answers to her call. 
Impulsively, she crept the rest of the way in. If the doctor could get in, so could she. It was dark, and there was some kind of moss on the walls that glowed. She could certainly see well enough to find her way. At the branching of two tunnels, she took the wider one. It opened into an even larger cavern. She stood up cautiously. A net-like film dropped from above and encircled her, pinning her arms to the side and her legs together. It covered her nose and mouth so she could scarcely breathe. She felt something push hard at her knees and she toppled to the floor, even unable to scream. I caught the giant. A deep grating voice gloated. Did you think to find us so weak then? Well, we have strength even you cannot defeat. But you shall not live to tell your friends of them. Enough, Loroid. You talk too much. This one is our captive. Now, let us go and secure the other one. Sarah heard, Sarah heard the footsteps fade away as the two groundlings left her. She squirmed frantically about but couldn't loosen her bonds. In despair, she lay on the floor of the cave and felt tears slip from her eyes. They'd got her, and now they were going to get the doctor, and she couldn't do anything. She hated this world. She couldn't see anything. She could only hear things thanks to the doctor, and now she was going to be left to die in a smelly cave. She was totally unprepared for the tiny voice that came from in front of her. If you lie very still, I will try to free you. It was the princess. Sarah lay very still, not that she had much choice, and wondered what a being small enough to ride a dragonfly could do to break bonds that she couldn't. She felt something touch the webbing by her mouth and slide across it. The webbing split like butter cut by a hot knife. What? Don't talk. You wiggle when you talk, and I would not wish to cut you. There was a pause as the princess waited for a response. Okay, Sarah whispered. I knew you were not unintelligent for your size. Sarah felt the webbing fall away as the princess systematically removed it. She lay quite still, not moving a muscle. I am sorry, the little voice continued. I did not mean to insult you. But we have always thought the groundlings were so stupid and brutish because of their size. But since both you and the doctor are so large, and not at all brutish, it would seem that we were wrong in our reasoning. The rest of the webbing fell away. Can I get up now? Just a moment. I want to get up on this rock, just in case. All clear. Sarah sat up gingerly. The cave seemed to have gotten darker. The last place the voice had been coming from was there by her feet, and there was a small rock nearby. You don't happen to have a light, do you? She asked the rock. I have a bit of a glow, but not much. We can use it to get out. I've got to find the doctor. He may be in trouble. Don't you want to escape yourself? Of course, Sarah stood up carefully. But I've got to help the doctor first. Why? Because he's my friend. Don't you help your friends? I don't understand. What is a friend? Sarah was nonplussed. Look, I haven't got time now to talk about it. I should think you'd want to help the doctor. I should think you'd want to help the doctor. He's been trying to help you. There was no answer. Very well. Have a nice trip out. She looked around, trying to determine which way to go. I'll come with you. 
I don't quite understand why I should, but I will. All right, then. Which way? The ones who caught you went through the opening on your right. Since we're going together, may I ride on your shoulder? Of course. That way I'll know where you are. Sarah put her hand toward the rock and felt a tiny weight crawl into it. Definitely a human type, not a whatever. She could feel the little feet and two arms clasp her thumb. She lifted her hand to her shoulder and felt the weight transfer. The little body settled down on the curve of her neck, clasping her hair. Must be like riding an elephant, Sarah muttered. We are not savages, the princess shouted. Sarah felt a tug on her hair as she stood up. There was a murmur from the crowd as they realized one of their enemies was in their midst. Have you brought an enemy into our most sacred place? Kira gasped. I am the Princess Rhine, and you have sacrificed enough of our people here so that only one of us alive would be a novelty. Why have you come here with these strangers? None of you has ever voluntarily come into our dwellings. My mother asked these people to bring a message to you that we truly desired peace. And she ordered you to come with them? No, I came on my own. These are my friends. I did not wish them to walk into danger alone. For all the brave words, and even the tone of voice, Sarah could sense that the princess was scared. Do you claim then to know of bonding? I do not know of bonding, but I know of friendship. Sarek scowled at them. Stay there. We must meet in council and discuss this. He summoned some of the others and they gathered in a corner. Sarah and the doctor sat down. What's going on? Sarah asked. I'm not certain. Apparently bonding is very important to these people. He made a face. It might even be their religion. And until now, they felt that the people of the air could not understand it. And because they didn't understand it, they were creatures to be destroyed. Apparently. Tell me, princess, when you fight and one of your people is hurt or captured, did you make any effort to help that person? If they're captured, no. If they're hurt and we can get them out without danger, we will. That's the way it has always been. And now? From being with you and Sarah, I can see that there may be more important things than one's own life. This thing you call friendship... It makes a difference. And we have noticed that the ground people of the earth act differently when one of their kind is hurt or captured. What do you think about that? I'm not sure, but certainly people who can care for others in that way are not quite the savage brutes we always thought. No, they're not. Doctor, Sarek's coming back, Sarah said. Sarek stood beneath them and scowled up at them. We have decided... We will agree to a truce between your people for now until you become queen. During that time, we will meet with you and your people in a neutral place and discuss how, and if, we can create a lasting peace. When you become queen, we will make our final decision. Those terms are fair, and on behalf of my people, I will agree to them. As we learn more about each other, it will be easier to find out how we can live together. Yes. A smile transformed Sarek's face into something almost human. 
We both have much to learn. By taking small steps together, I think you'll find the learning easier, said the doctor. We can try. We will try, added the princess. Now that that's settled, we'll be off. The doctor stood up and smiled at the people below. Thank you for your hospitality, he grinned and went out the opening. Sarah got up hurriedly and followed. She had to hang on to the doctor's scarf, and the princess was hanging on very tightly to her, as they crawled and climbed out of the underground warren. Outside again, Sarah thought that she had never before realized how wonderfully warm the sun could make a world. She took a deep breath and looked around. A dragonfly was coming toward them. I shall have to leave you now. I must take the news of what has happened to my mother and the council. Will you be all right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. We'll get back to the TARDIS in good time. Are you quite sure you don't want us to go with you? I'll be fine. The dragonfly hovered by Sarah's shoulder, and she felt the princess step off. The dragonfly flew a short distance away and then turned back. Is it always like this? Even the doctor was thrown by the non-sequitur. What? Sarah blinked. She could have sworn that for a few seconds she had seen something on the dragonfly. I mean, when you have a friend and you have to say goodbye to them, and even though nothing's wrong, you feel unhappy. Sarah blinked again. She could see a tiny figure on the dragonfly. Looking as delicate as she had felt, the princess had long golden hair and a small diadem on her head. Her gossamer gown was a flowing blue, and Sarah felt as though one of the illustrations from her childhood fairy stories had come to life. Princess, I can see you. Can you, Sarah? I'm so glad. But I wish even more now that you were not going. But this isn't our world. Do all you can to bring peace to it, and perhaps the doctor and I will return someday for a visit. I hope you will, the princess sighed. We all have so much to learn and do. Boop! You've made a start, and we will have to be on our way, the doctor said briskly. The princess looked questioningly at Sarah as the doctor turned and headed toward the forest. Sarah motioned for her, and she flew close. He hates to say goodbyes, Sarah whispered. The princess started to laugh, then quickly suppressed it. She grinned mischievously at Sarah. Goodbye, Sarah Jane. Return soon. I'll try. Sarah grinned back and then set off to catch up with the doctor. Neither of them spoke until they got back to the TARDIS. Doctor? She watched him setting the coordinates on the TARDIS console panel. Do you think they'll be all right? Possibly. At least they're talking to each other. And that's more than happened on your planet. He flipped a lever and scowled at the result. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that story. If you'd like to uh, be a part of this project and be a reader on the program, shoot me an email at DoctorWhoCollectorsPodcast at gmail.com with lost stories in the subject line. And I'd love to have you uh, read something for me and we'll send you the story. Thank you so much. We'll be right back after the break. You are invited on an adventure across all of time and space in a completely random order. It's the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. 
Jump in the TARDIS with your hosts, Eric Gobranson, Asad Cheshke, and Matthew Kressel. Explore Doctor Who TV stories, audio adventures, and books, both novels and non-fiction. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. It's the entire Who-niverse. On Shuffle, the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a member of the Direction Point Network and is available about once a month wherever you find your podcasts. You are listening to the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. Keep collecting. The vervoids are probably the best dirty joke in Doctor Who. They're hermaphroditic plants. A lot of plants are. So there you go. That's it's based on science. No, they'll ship anything. There are probably eleven and handle shippers out there. You just have to drill a hole where his mouth is, and you're all set. You know he needs the room. I've seen it in pictures. I'm not saying you're not a fan. I'm saying you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Doctor Who gives a a drunken Doctor Who podcast for the end times. Up there is the scanner. Those are the doors. That is the chair with the panda on it. Sheer poetry, dear boy. And now it's time for the main story on the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the Doctor Who Target book, Blue Spine Editions. Uh, these are the books that came out uh, in the early 90s, and they were named as such. It's kind of in quotes, Blue Spines, because they weren't called that back then. It's just they happen to all have a blue-colored spine. Now, the last book to have a blue spine, I believe, was the hardcover edition of The War Games, and several Target books, depending on the color scheme, also had color blue. But um, as far as the entire run of the reprints were blue, uh, I think that was just a a choice on their part. I couldn't find any reason why they were chosen that way. I checked uh, all my sources, but um, that's okay. We're going to talk about those today, and uh, there's a lot of controversy regarding them as far as uh, how they're priced online. Some of them are priced way too high uh, based on the fact that when I did my due diligence here, I checked to see how many were actually produced. So that's an important thing too. So by the way, just a little history here. This was an effort by Virgin Publishing to reprint all of the Target books from uh, basically in the early 90s. But unfortunately, they didn't get to do that. uh, So only 82 books were printed. Uh, My sources here include, of course, the Target book by David J. Howe. I also use as a backup here the unofficial guide to Doctor Who books by Chris Stone and and the uh, popular online PDF based on a popular TV series by Paul Smith. Um, None of the Blue Spine Target books had any kind of U.S. distribution unless bookstores imported them. I don't see a lot of evidence of that. Um, The New Adventure books, of course, were imported to the United States. There was a thing with that. Um, And according to uh, David Howe in the Target book, a dispute with the managing director about the Virgin logo and poor sales led to the end of those uh, reprints in 94, which is sad because that's only two years away from the Paul McGann movie and 10 years away from the series return. So if they had kept doing a pace of books uh, and basically all they had to do here was rejacket the WH Allen Target books uh, with this new with new cover art. Most of the cover art was done by uh, Alistair Pearson, with a few exceptions. Um, but that's basically where that would have met. If uh, also a shame too that if they had U.S. sales, I think that you know they would have done better. But still, based on the print runs, quite a few books were printed. Uh, And according to uh, the Target book, 8 million copies sold. That's not bad. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe they expected better. 
But anyway, we'll go through the books by year here, and um, I'm I'm not gonna. I'm not going to rehash every detail, but I just want to give a kind of a basic idea here of what was going on and how many copies were printed. So the first reprints were in 1990, and they did four books. Um, they did the War Games, uh, 6,000 copies, uh, the cover art by Alistair Pearson. Um, and, of course, all my, uh, all my estimations of value um, are roughly, you know, based on some sold amounts, but also based on the fact that a lot of books were were put out there and I've got some pretty good sales figures for what I paid for some of these books uh, I do have a complete collection of these books in my collection uh, only one title was reprinted a few years later some titles were rejacketed in other words they they did a reprint um, of the material and uh, they actually took the original target book with the original copyright date and put a virgin cover on it we have evidence of that um, so you know, basically we had we had here the uh, um, the war games had six thousand copies uh, price there, and um, unearthly child, Dalek invasion of Earth, and the mind robber came out, and they each had five thousand copies printed. I wonder if they were kind of just starting out to see what happened there. Um, the value for each of those books is roughly around fifteen dollars each. I have not seen them for very much money. They're not too hard to find. Uh, in nineteen ninety one, they jumped to twenty four books. So what I'm going to do is go through the titles in publication order and how many were printed. So in this case, we have the Web Planet, which would have been the, you know, the Zarbi, I believe, on the other books. 5,000 copies. The Brain of Morbius, 8,000 copies. The Five Doctors, 8,500 copies. The Dominators, 8,000 copies. The Auton Invasion, 8,000 copies. The Ambassadors of Death, 5,000 copies. Day of the Daleks, 8,000 copies, and then a later print in 1994, the only copy to be reprinted, had a six to 8,000 run. So lots of Day of the Daleks copies floating around. Uh, Death to the Daleks, 8,000 copies. The Ark in Space, 10,000 copies. Revenge of the Cybermen, 10,000 copies. Castro Velva, 10,000 copies. Fort of Doomsday, 10,000 copies. The Crotons, 9,000 copies. Planet of the Spiders, 9,000 copies. So it's not real consistent. We start with, you know, 5,000 here and then 8,000 and then 10,000. It's like, it sounds like it was like a random thought that somebody said, ah, run this many and we'll see what happens. Uh, so that's uh, how that went. Um, we also have the three doctors, 9,000 copies, Genesis of the Daleks, 9,000 copies, Mask of Mandragora, 9,000 copies. This one also apparently allegedly had a reprint in 92, but I can't find any print run or any other information on that. If you have a copy of Mandragora with a 92 copyright, get in touch with me. Uh, Time in the Ronnie, 10,000 copies. Legopolis, uh, somewhere between eight and 10,000 copies. The Chase, 5,000 copies. Paradise Towers, 9,000 copies. Delta and the Bannerman, 9,000 copies. Dragonfire, 9,000 copies. And The Greatest Show of the Galaxy, eight to 10,000, somewhere in that range. Um, specifics on these here, uh, you know, as far as um, many copies were made. So none of these books are really considered rare or hard to find. I've found many of these titles uh, still out there for sale. I was able to find them for the most part. Um, I sold a lot of my duplicates very quickly because people are still looking for these. Uh, I would say they range in anywhere from $5 to $15 um, in, in mint condition and considerably less for uh, for uh, the uh, ones that are beaten up. So those shouldn't be too hard to find. In 1992... 
they did 24 books. And so let me go through that list here. We have The Daleks, that's Doctor Who and the Daleks, 10,000 copies. The Visitation, 8 to 10,000 copies. The Savages, 8 to 10,000 copies. Arc of Infinity, Modern Undead, Earthshock, and Awakening, all 8 to 10,000 copies. Robot, The Caves of Androzani, The Curse of Peladon, The Monster of Peladon, Planet of the Daleks, Destiny of the Daleks, 8 to 10,000 copies. The Silurians, I could not find print run information, but based on everything else, I'm going to assume and throw out a thing here that says anywhere from eight to 10,000 copies. Uh, Warriors of the Deep, The Aztecs, Tomb of the Cybermen, The Massacre, Attack of the Cybermen, The Savages, The Twin Dilemma, The Nightmare Fair, The Time Meddler, and The War Machines all had eight to 10,000 copies. That is a lot of books. So I don't think they're very rare at all. Most of the titles uh, were done covers uh, with uh, Alistair Pearson, with the exception of The Caves of Androzani, The Aztecs, The Twin Dilemma were all done by Andrew Skilleter. So that's that's the only differences there. Um, and The Time Meddler by Jeff Cummins. Okay, so in this case here, I would put the value of these books anywhere between 10 and 35. That's where I've seen it, but I wouldn't pay more than 35 for any of these books. And that's U.S. dollars, by the way. So that's significantly less than British pounds. I've seen some of these books for 35 or 40 pounds, which makes it about $80 American. That's way too high for these books, especially with the number that I'm seeing here printed. So that's based on that. Um, in 1993, we did 18 books, which is less than the previous year. And so uh, let me go through these numbers. They do vary quite a bit. So The Celestial Toymaker and Vengeance on Veros, 8 to 10,000 copies. The Tenth Planet and Terror of the Zygons, 8 to 10,000 copies. Um, Pyramids of Mars, 10,000 copies. The Face of Evil, 8,000 copies. Meglos, 8,000 copies. Carnival of Monsters, 8,000 copies. The Enemy of the World, 8,000 copies. The Time Warrior, 6,000 copies. Not sure why they went down on that one. Uh, the Keeper of Trocken, 8,000 copies. The Invasion, Silver Nemesis, The Demons, and The Leisure Hive, 8,000 copies. Invasion of the Dinosaurs and the Smugglers, 8,000 uh, 8, for Invasion of the Dinosaurs and 10,000 copies for the Smugglers. I've seen the Smugglers uh, out there for a lot more money, but a 10,000 of those got out there, guys. So there's a lot of those floating out there. All of those covers were done by Alistair Pearson. So um, the books with a 10,000 print run, anywhere from 5 to 30. The books with 6,000, okay, I will grant that those might be a little bit considered more difficult to find. And you might go up to 50, but don't pay any more than 50 for any of those titles. Um, I've been told Meglos at $80, but I I, just, I have a problem with that since I paid 40 for my Meglos, which I thought was a little high, but I took it. Um, but any more than 50 is is, is not going to work. <coughs> the final year of uh, the reprint a project in 1994, only three books, and then the reprint stopped for good from Virgin Publishing, and so here they are, the three that came out were Web of Fear, The Robots of Death, and The Talons of Wang Chiang, each with 8,000 copies. 
All covers, in this case, by Alistair Pearson. Uh, the last three titles, not very hard to find. However, I've seen some of them priced a little higher. So anywhere between $5 and $35, you can find those. I've seen them for all kinds. Anything more than $35, I would pass it over and keep looking. Um, according to the Target book, uh, well over 8 million copies were sold, as I mentioned earlier, but not enough to keep it going. Of course, the Target imprint is now used by the BBC and is slowly reprinting Targos, but Target titles, but it's unknown how many will actually be done. Um, the Blue Spines are very sought after, so be patient if you're looking. It took me many years to complete my set and to find it at the right price. Um, I sold off all my duplicates and I priced those very reasonably. So that's that's one of those things, you know, keep keep looking out there, set your um, searches, save your searches on eBay, go to uh, Abe's books with your searches. But if you type in Blue Spine, you you might not get it all. You might want to do uh, Doctor Who target books and then put in the dates between um, 91 and 94 or 90 or 90 and 95 inclusive, because sometimes the dates are wrong. Uh, in the uh, listings. So that might help you find some of those books. And of course, I do have the, some of, some more Blue Spines on my eBay store. So if you just go to DoctorWhoCollectors.com and select merchandise links and search for the eBay and get the eBay store there, you can find some of those. So there we go. That's the Blue Spines. So um, it's, it's nice to complete um, a run of something, you know, whether it's the comic books, the magazines, or you know, books, um, the, the hardcover classic run, very difficult to complete because of certain titles that are just not out there. Blue Spines, though, that's a relatively easy thing to get. All 82 books um, are, is not, not terribly difficult as a search, but keep, uh, keep going out there. If you need any help with your searches, shoot us an email at doctorwhocollectorspodcast at gmail.com. I'll do my best to help you out. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, anyway, uh, good luck with your searches there. So after the break, I bring you the most outrageous offer. Stay tuned. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including... Dalton Hughes. And... Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitchers, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast on the Direction Point Podcast Network. Keep collecting! We are going on a journey, a very long journey, through the world of the Target novelizations and publication order. Every week, we are looking at a new book, talking about Terrace Dix, Malcolm Hulk, and all our Doctor Who novelization friends. Whatever you do, keep turning the pages. This is Jason Miller of the Doctor Who Literature Podcast, a member of the Direction Point Podcast Network, and you are listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Keep collecting. In all my travelings throughout the universe, I have battled against evil, against power-mad conspirators. I should have stayed here. The oldest civilization, decadent, degenerate, 
and rotten to the core. Power my conspirators, Daleks from Tarans, Cybermen. They're still in the nursery compared to us. Ten million years of absolute power. That's what it takes to be really corrupt. And now it's time for the most outrageous offer. The most outrageous offer is a Doctor Who item or Doctor Who related item that appears to be priced way too much for what it's actually worth or what you can actually get it for. So today uh, I received a a note. Um, Please do not read my name online. No problem. Um, Take a look at this link and it's a link to a books and it is a Doctor Who new adventure book called God Engine by Craig Hinton. Um, came out in 1996, uh, and uh, this seller here is from New York, uh, Books Unplugged, and they're asking, let's see, it doesn't even say, uh, it says the book is in good condition with minor wear to the pages, some marks within. So it's not a new book by any stretch, but they're asking for $1,177.32 with free shipping within the United States. Um other copies on on a books actually proved to be still a, a little bit on the outrageous side. Uh, we found a couple copies for two fifty ninety seven, two fifty one eighty two, and two fifty three oh three, and these are all um, from the United States here. So I expanded my search to uh, eBay. Of course, I have this book in my collection, so I didn't pay more than forty bucks for it. In fact, I found four on eBay for thirty nine dollars and ninety five cents. Uh, one for $40 even, one for $45, which was in better shape. So definitely not a book you need to spend $1,000 on. In fact, there's very few books um, for Doctor Who that should get the $1,000 treatment. And I'm still waiting for someone to send me a link for the hardcover edition of An Unearthly Child. Um, that's probably going to fetch $1,000 uh, and probably will get it because that book is just impossible to find. But anyway, God Engine is not impossible to find. So um, keep looking. You know what? Do the do your searches. Do your due diligence. Look around. Uh, thrift Books might even have a copy. I didn't go there, but um, they, they might have a copy of that. I know people on Facebook have sold that copy for less money. So don't fall into that trap of spending all this money. I will put the links, of course, to these sales, including the outrageous ones. I will take some screenshots uh, as well, just in case, because sometimes they disappear after the podcast airs. But um, yeah, don't spend a lot of money on God Engine. That's just craziness. So anyway, I thank my uh, my good listeners out there for keeping me uh, updated on these crazy, crazy offers. Uh, as it is, I, I believe in fair pricing for all Doctor Who collectibles. You know, I believe the seller should you know, get some money for what they're asking for, but don't go crazy. I mean, I've been in arguments with people. The seller has the right to demand what they want. Yes, and we have the right not to buy it. I've seen many auctions and books for sale with these ridiculous prices that sit there for months. So get, you know, or or, uh, or people that have their, their whole Target book collection for $600 and they are not budging, even though they don't have a single you know, copy there that's worth more than two or three dollars. <laughs> so it's just, it blows my mind. But anyway, that's what we're here for. And uh, thank you for listening. And that wraps it up for the Dr. Who Collectors Podcast. I especially want to thank today um, my good friend Katie Haynes for uh, voicing the lost Gene Airy story that we started with. Uh, if you'd like to be a reader, of one of these lost stories and do your voice talent with us uh we would love to have you just give us an email at doctor who collectors podcast at gmail.com with lost stories in the subject line 
We have quite a few, so thank you so much. Uh, coming up in future episodes, don't know when they'll happen, but they are happening soon. We are going to have Lisa Bowerman on the program. She plays uh, Bernice Summerfield in the uh, Big Finish audios and was one of the last characters to be killed off in classic Doctor Who. Uh, we will have Tasha Achilleos and Anna Achilleos on the program talking about the new shop. Uh, we'll catch up with Lauren Cornelius, our favorite Big Finish actress uh, who does the... Uh, uh, Jackie Lean role of uh, Dodo Chaplet. And of course, we're also going to try to get Ken Deep on the program. He's the showrunner of Long Island Who and has a new book out called The Companions of Who. So there we go. Also, you can look forward to the hardcovers 1984 uh, as soon as uh, the Target Book Club catches up. So there you go. All right. Until then, keep collecting. Direction point. Direction point. A Doctor Who Podcast Network.